Hello, this is Chuck Stead talking to you. We're doing some readings from a book I wrote called Back Porch Stories. And if you're interested, you can uh, order this book at ramaposhop.com. And we're about to read uh, the third story in the book, which is called Hayo Silver. The Lone Ranger was part of my earliest dreams. My sister Muffin, saddled with babysitting duty on my parents' bowling night, dragged my crib into the living room at the front of our old factory house, so as not to miss any part of her favorite television show. Thundering across a black-and-white landscape in pursuit of villains, the masked man and his trusted Indian companion rode up 2nd Street and fired silver bullets into the freckled face of Keith Jenkins, a kid up the street who broke the fish heads off our garage. That was my dad Walt's fine collection of large and small-mouth bass decapitations that he nailed to the east wall of the Double Bay building, and they were shattered by Jenkins' slingshot. And the ranger, who rode off into the landscape of white boulders and black cactus, in turn blew Keith Jenkins to pieces. The new schoolmarm, as played by my Aunt Dot, asked, Who was that masked man? And the old grizzly sheriff, as played by my grandfather, answered, Why, that man is the Lone Ranger. Hi-o, Silver, cried Sister Muffin, as she charged through the house whenever the Emerson television speaker offered up the Ranger's theme. William Tell's Overture. Hi-o, Silver, she shouted, pounding up the stairs of our side-by-side two-family building. Beyond the wall, Aunt Dot held her breath as her vast collection of Avon cosmetic bottles rattled upon the knick-knack shelves that Uncle Inky built for her. Oh, that little Muffy, if she causes me to lose any of my glass, she warned. Hi-o, Silver! Muffin bellowed as she charged back down the narrow staircase, and beyond the wall, Uncle Inky, he steadied a glass bottle shaped just like a horse in a gallop. Hi-o, Silver! And beyond the wooden bars of my crib, I watched the masked man and his Indian companion friend ride off into the west. The west, that is, as seen through the little window of our big black Emerson. But where did they go? And why is that smiling man telling that lady how to mop a floor in the west? Don't like them, Grandpop said. Won't have one of them damn things in the house. No, they're noisy. Don't like them. But like the telephone that found its way into his home some 30 years earlier, the television moved into an accepted place under his roof. He grudgingly confessed to watching baseball, but only baseball. Truth is, well, he, he was fond of Uncle Milty. He was fond of Burns and Allens and the Jack Benny program but still only in harsh weather. Come the sweet spring evening or the warm summer night, Grandpa left the television behind for a stroll along the front porches of 2nd Street. He believed what kept a community alive was a regular sit-down on a neighbor's front porch. He ignored the sound of throughway construction, just a stone's throw away. Throughway traffic or no throughway traffic, he would not sacrifice his front porch gab sessions, and least of all, least of all for the aggravation of a television program. Hi-o, Silver! Muffin's voice carried across the street to the front porch of Flo and Hunter, who sat with Grandma and Grandpa. They were listening to Uncle Mal. He was telling them the latest installment of the building of the New York State Thruway. It's a continuing saga. Mal glanced over his shoulder into the, the direction of our house, 
And then, so as not to lose his audience, he hastily continued his narration in such a fashion as to pile the rest of his words into a verbal collision. Me and Jean, we took Barrelhead, worked all night, um, um, legal restrictions, explosives within in village limits. What does Barrelhead know about explosives? Grandpa asked. And in doing so, he gave himself the opportunity to reach for the matches in his shirt pocket. This had to be a natural gesture. Didn't want to draw attention to the fact that he was fixing to light up his store-bought panatella. He held it between his index finger and thumb for the last 20 minutes. Good Lord, Pop, Uncle Mal said. Barrelhead, he, he don't know a damn thing about explosive. That's why it took us all night. If he don't know a thing about them, then why is he writing the restrictions on them? Now with his left hand, he discreetly slipped a single wooden match from the little cardboard box, never once taking the focus of his attention off his grown son who stood before him. Mal, who appeared even taller than his six-foot-one-inch broad-chested constitution, stood in the front yard and stared up at the wrinkled old man. These days, his father seemed swallowed up by his checkered shirt and trousers. Still, there was no getting around who was the father and who was the son. Damn, Pop, damn, where you been? Every day the throwaway blasters bounce rock the size of baseballs off in our roofs. Hi-oh, silver, Muffin's voice sounded from across the street. And Mal's audience looked toward that house, our house. He stepped into their view to block it and struggled to finish his story. We were just looking for a way to, to snag them blasters so that they don't bury us alive. Hi-oh, silver, Muffin's voice shouted again. Hanagulik now, catching sight of Popstead's match, withdrew his own after-supper piece of rope a short-nosed white owl. It had been smoked down a third from earlier that day. "'What is she saying?' Grandma asked. "'Oh, that little Muffy,' Flo said, shaking her head from side to side. All us kids on Second Street knew her as Aunt Flo, despite the fact that no one was related to her. "'She she goes on like a house of fire over that Lone Ranger fellow.' "'Yeah, so anyway, Barrelhead, he, he comes up with this code book on village zoning and... Mal could tell he was trying to push that heavy freight train of his story in the last light of day, but he wasn't getting anywhere. Too much of that television, Grandpa declared. That girl of Walt's, she gets all worked up over that television. Too much, I tell you. I won't have one of them things in the house. And then, with the collective attention upon the house across the street, he struck the match. It burst into a little torch. Won't have it in the house. Won't have it on. Unless, of course, it's the Yankees. Grandma dropped her remark, such that as he sucked down on the panatella, his eyes widened, his face puckered, all aglow, and he stared at her. He exhaled, a long, thin cloud of smoke down into his baggy lap. Hi-oh, Silver, the unrelenting cry carried from across the street to the evening congregation. Well, anyway, Mal tried to gather up the pluck of his story. I believe we got them blasters in a corner. Don't trust it, neither. Grandpa warned, and for a moment Mal believed the attention had returned to his story. Television, Grandpa continued. Mal looked away, down at the lower end of the street, where the river meadow was now a packed bed of crushed gravel. In the warm, close dark, the change at the bottom of the street was hardly visible. It's sneaky, 
Grandpa said. That, that Joe McCarthy, he went for the Reds on the television. Next thing you know, the Congress goes for him. How do I know that the government isn't looking right back through the television into my living room? Now, why would the government want to look into our living room? Grandma asked in her cool and sober voice. Hope they're not looking into my living room, Flo observed. At least not until we get new curtains. Lord, I've had the same curtains since I can't remember when. Well, Grandpa continued, if not the government, then what about the television people? Maybe they're watching us to get ideas for their put-ons. Pop, what are you talking about, Mal demanded. The old man drew his left hand out to his knee. He balanced his stogie in his right three-fingered hand. I'm talking about how more and more of the people are getting them damn televisions in their house and how they're losing what, what they got because of it. Pop, it's not the television. It's the throughway that's changing things. Look, boy, that throughway is just another big road. It don't go through my living room, but the television lives in my living room. Good Lord, Pop, you can turn the television off. Once the throughway starts cranking up, there'll be no turning it off. The old man stared hard down at his grown son and shook his head. Well, the throughway don't take away no porches. What? Take that little fella, the, the beaver, you know him. Starts out his show each week. He's walking to a, 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 a brand new neighborhood up to his home. What's got no porch on it? Beaver don't even live in Hillburn, Pop. Course not. We still got our porches. Hunter withdrew his own warm rope and he said, Kid like that wouldn't know what to do with a porch. No, sir. It'd confuse the poor little bugger. Poor little thing, Flo murmured. He'd probably start to cry and... Hi-oh, Silver! Muffin's voice rang out again, causing Mal to spit out in some anger. What the hell has got into that girl? Then across the street, they all caught sight of Aunt Dot as she charged directly out of her front door, cut a hard left, and threw open our door. Muffin! She scolded. And upon entering the living room, she shouted, Muffin, I have had enough! Now I, still relatively new to the world, was entirely unprepared for my Aunt Dot's rage. The sound that I bellowed forth caused my Aunt Dot to hesitate for a moment, a few seconds, before marching through the house and shouting, Muffy, now you got the baby crying! She screamed, I screamed, but there was no Muffy to be found. No Muffy in the kitchen at the back of the house. Aunt Dot stood there alone upon the slick yellow and burgundy linoleum, alone and unaware that an Apache savage was lurking behind the plastic curtain in the pantry. This was a fine thing. Baby crying, no one in the house. This was a fine thing. Just one more example of my mother's irresponsible approach to family. Tessie, that Catholic from New Jersey, from the Flatlands, with her stylish hairdos and her silk blouses and her attitude and, oh, her sense of humor. Ha! Aunt Dot might have made a clean break of it with all of this information, but she lingered just a little too long. The adolescent Apache pounced. Dot screamed. I echoed her terror. And across the street, Grandpa surmised, Just listen. Listen to what television has done to that household. And they, all of them, television watchers, commiserated as to the evil influence of the picture tube. All of them except Uncle Mal, who walked down toward the throughway construction to see what was left of what used to be.
<laughs> Kimosabi. <laughs> that was a good one. That was a whole scene right there. That's a whole scene of a play. I loved it. <laughs> loved it. Oh, that was great. That was great. Hi, old Silva. I can just see him up in. These are the, the first <laughs> cries of a woman who is going to leave behind any restrictions, regulations, or anything else. Speak her mind. Yes. And remember, the Lone Ranger was a ranger, but he was also a little outside the law somehow. Oh, yeah. That would appeal to Muffin, certainly. Yeah. He had to wear a mask. Yeah, he had to wear a mask because he had to stay incognito, you That's know? That's right, right. <laughs> and it was a nice little neat mask. Yeah, that nice, you know, the silver, the beautiful horse and yeah. everything else. Where did he get all the money for that stuff? I know, I know. And how did he keep it so clean? It was always clean. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> he looked like he just just rode out of the store on, on horseback with the <laughs> new studs and everything. And Jay Silverheels, that was the man who played the role of um, Tonto. Yeah. And uh, took heat for that, of course. Yeah. yeah. But uh, is, a, is a really a wonderful actor, actually. Yeah. And, uh, and he was remembered for that. He was the, the Lone Ranger was kind of plastic in a way. Yeah. You know, I'll save you now, you know, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Tonto was very passionate. And sometimes tortured by what was going on. Oh, yeah. Like sometimes that. he's the Lone Ranger's muse, and sometimes he's his conscience. Yeah. It's yeah. an interesting dynamic that it's it's not as simple as it it appears. Yeah. I remember when I used to watch it, I just think to myself, why is he looking out for this guy anyway? You know, <laughs> why, why, why does Tonto look out for the Lone Ranger? What What's he getting out of this deal? I don't know. You know, he just, it just seemed like... <laughs> Didn't seem like a worthy uh, a worthy bargain, but there were so many shows like that, morality tales yep. and things like that. You know, yep. stories. You know, stories. You bet. Stories. And the Beaver. You mentioned the Beaver in that yeah, one. Yeah, the Beaver, little Beaver. Yeah, he. Um, I think for me, the image that that rises up out of that story is his old pop is concerned about the Beaver because he's in this you know neighborhood what's got no porches to it, as he says, but it's. If you remember that that uh, intro role of with the credits, where the Beaver and, and Wally are by the house and so forth, it really is a suburban, a classic suburban split ranch neighborhood, and there are no porches. And why would that be? And my grandfather did worry about that. Why would that be important? And it's it's so important in terms of his understanding of what community means. Access, you know, your right. porch is where your neighbors can meet with you because you're not bringing them inside. You know, flow, flow in the stories, you know, her, her, her curtains haven't been changed since she can't remember when. But boy, we can sit on the porch and talk, yeah. you know, it's the safe sort of neutral zone. It's common ground. Yeah, sure, yeah. yeah it's common yeah. ground. It really is. It's like the commons. It's like the invitation to a commons. And it is a big difference between what is a suburban neighborhood and, and what would be Hilburn. Sure. Sure, it's yeah. where people come together. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Stay connected. And that's another thing, you know, from, from the times that you speak of that is, you know, sadly so different from now. I can remember when I was that age, we were all in a, a post-World War II community. And we had just defeated tyranny, the likes of which no one had ever seen, and, and uh, brought an end to Hitler and... I think we had a kinship after that that we never had before. And I can remember walking right into a neighbor's house with my friend to have dinner at their house. Nobody even asked. I just mm -hmm. did it. And, and it mm -hmm. happened, you know, they would walk back into my house the next day and we didn't lock our doors and we didn't lock our cars. And, 
And there was community. There was connection mm-hmm. on those front porches all the time that time. And it was wonderful. I, I miss that. I really do. And I remember it. I remember it. We didn't have, you know, when you drive into, say, you know, a nice suburban neighborhood in, in North Jersey these days or somewhere in that area, like around where the college is, you see these signs as you enter the neighborhood that says, this is a neighborhood watch. Yeah. And uh, we we didn't have that. I mean, we, we need I, it. Yeah, it was a different thing. You know, it was, there's a lot of factors that go into that kind of change. Yeah. A lot of things. But yeah. Um, yeah. When I talk about this to my kids, they kind of look at me askance. Like, <laughs> you just walked into someone's house and had right. dinner? You know, right, right. are you kidding me? You know, how did that happen? That's the way it was. Yeah. I remember Uncle Mal said, called up Walt once and said, uh, I need the paint truck. You know, I need to use it because the truck was over our house. And Walt said, well, take it whenever you want. The keys are in it. And yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. that was, you know, I mean, it's everybody kind of knew everybody's, you know. And sure. So there was a, that, that was different. A, another thing that's different, along with losing the porches, you know, on houses, there's a, there's a construct called a privacy fence that right. people wrap their, their decks in and their backyards in. People just accept this because, you know, you, you want your privacy. That idea is is relatively new in terms of the long range of community development. It's, it's, a rel- it's a suburban thing. It's a relatively new thing. And by new, I mean it's the last 30 or 40 years it came into being, but before that, people wouldn't think of that. Sure. Yeah. Well, there again, you know, you're, many of the neighborhoods were built by the GI Bill yep. after the wor- World War II, and they were on postage stamp lots. So why would you break up your view with a lot of fencing? You know, yeah. it, it just didn't make sense. Besides, the guy next door, he was he was in the Pacific Theater, and yep. you were in the uh, North African Theater, and the guy on the other side of you was uh, fighting, uh, you know, in France. And, you know, you guys saved the world. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. so you <laughs> We're one now. We're the, a family. There now. was that sense coming out of that time, and uh, and then that starts to change, and yeah. uh, a lot of factors went into changing it. Plowing through the '60s, a lot yeah. of things changed it. Well, one of the big things that your grandpa saw right up front was the TV. <laughs> I'm not going to have that in my house. You know, I see. I see what's going on there. I know where this is going to lead. And he was. He was right. Oh, he was right. But he did have it in the house, and he yeah. did watch it. Which is interesting. Did and he liked those shows, you know, Uncle Milty and and those shows. He really eventually got into all of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, but he did understand, like a lot of the old timers did, it was more important to be face to face with a person, and they objected to it. Of course, we grew up. You know, you and I are TV babies. We grew up with TV. That's right. And yeah. uh, the boomer people, they all grew up with them. It exposed you to behaviors and types of people you would never have known had. TV never come along. Yeah. And the reason why Tessie wore silk blouse was, as you pointed out in in one of your earlier stories, because Lucille Ball did. Yeah. And it really did change the way we think, the way we act. I suppose in a more ominous way today, the social media is changing the way we think and the way we act. Well, I think it's really important, too, is that America eventually could all afford televisions. And they started not seeing themselves on television. You know, there was, uh, it was a, like Mayberry was the whitest village in the South. And obviously it's not that white. So they were projecting ideas that were um, 
a homogeneous world of, of whiteness, of a Christian whiteness ethic kind of a thing. And so the 60s are turbulent, and by the 70s we start to see we're, we're breaking that up. We're developing multicultural perspectives on, on television, which is the good thing. You know, that's, yeah. that's the good thing that comes out of it. Yeah. Uh, another good thing was, was television in the 60s broadcast the Vietnam War in a way that was uh, not embedded, journalists embedded, but journalists just out there being able to observe and, and speak their truth to justice, whatever it is, you know. And, yeah. and that, was, that was so important, but it was radical. All of those things were, I think, way out ahead of us. Right. You know, Kennedy was the first president to really take advantage of television because mm-hmm. he was a personality type, which, you know, Nixon wasn't. On, uh, on the screen. Gosh, that made it, the selling of the president made a big difference. To, it sure did. Yeah. It was a, a real game changer, yeah. you know, no matter how you looked at it. And those who figured out the extraordinary power of what was once called this vast wasteland, they really did leverage and benefit from that. And those who didn't... Got fell, left behind. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. The thing that I love about this particular chapter is the... It's such a wonderful slice of life. Everyone's talking, and of course, the thread that's holding it all together is "Hi, O Silva." <laughs> you know, it just kind of wraps all these people into one one wonderful conversation. Jesus, so fun to listen to. I, I love when you can just feel the room and all the people in it commenting and going back and forth. Conversations that don't necessarily connect subject wise, and yet. They fit together fluidly, you know. <laughs> yeah, great stuff. I, I think I think the high silver part for me, just now, just reading it, I was thinking, well, he's the good guy. He's got the white cowboy hat. He's gonna get. He's gonna deal with the bad guys. And then across the street, they've got like the throughways. The bad guy. No, the television's the bad guy. No beavers being left behind. Poor little boy's gonna be set to crying. You know, they've got all of this things. Long Ranger can't do anything about that. Muffin is stormtrooping the house, knowing that he can do something about the bad guys. Yeah. And, uh, and that, that's an interesting phenomenon that we have in our culture, yeah. that you know, we'll call upon the good guy. We'll identify the good guy, and, and he'll come and save us. Yeah. And, uh, and God forbid you're the, you get identified as the good guy, because when you don't save us, somebody will kill you for it. <laughs> So there it is. There it is. There's that that seed being planted to some degree in in the community. And um, yeah, one last thing I got a real kick out of is how you, the toddler, I guess, watching this. What age were you at this time? Probably, probably three. Yeah, yeah. this is early on. Well, you you have you make. But I'm in a crib. I'm in a crib actually. So it could be two. And you're wondering why the smiling man is telling a woman how to wash her floor in the middle of the... How can a child differentiate between the commercial and the story right, and right. everything? But you're trying to figure that out. When, when I actually got strong enough that I could start walking around, apparently Muffin had me watching Lone Ranger a lot. And, uh, and apparently that was one of the regular sponsors. Uh, I'd go into the kitchen where my mom's, you know, yellow and burgundy linoleum was, and I would take the mop and ride it like a horse and impersonate Muffin impersonating the Lone Ranger. And Tessie would say, don't, no, don't, don't, don't mess with that mop. And Muffin would say, soap it up. He can wash the floor for you. <laughs> but, but I think there was a connection in my mind yeah, you, to you being on connection. a mop in yeah. the Old West. <laughs> sure, sure. Why not? 
<laughs> it's logical. Yeah, on, makes sure sense it's... to a kid. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> so, another story. Thank you. Thank you. Great. So we'll wrap this one up. And our next one is called A Nearly Perfect Game. See you then. You've been listening to Backport Stories with Chuck Stead. The song that you hear at the beginning and the end of the episode is Flyer's Rag, composed by Mr. Scott Lewis. Our producer is Joe Serino, and our cover photography is done by Karen Serino. We'll be back with another episode each Friday morning at 9 a.m., so please subscribe, click the like button, share with family and friends, and join us each week for another Backport Story.